morning to turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 11. Um, I'm betting you've asked yourself recently, what does Jesus want me to do in this situation? How do I treat this person the way that Jesus wants me to treat them? Should I talk right now? Should I listen? Should I overlook in love, challenge in the truth? Should I sit with them without trying to fix anything? Or is there something I'm supposed to do to fix it? If you've had any questions like those at all, then this week you've been wrestling with holiness. As we'll talk about more, holiness means living like God in the world. Or to put it slightly differently, holiness means living like Jesus. It means listening like Jesus, speaking like Jesus, loving like Jesus, serving like Jesus. And my guess is that definition of holiness and those questions I just asked you might make you feel tired. Because holiness is draining. Uh, Holiness is taking the waters of life that Jesus has poured into your hearts and then letting it flow out in your life in in huge ways and in small ways. And if you were here last week, maybe you remember the analogy I shared with you from the 12th century monk Bernard of Clairvaux, that there are two ways of living the Christian life. You can be a canal, which is full of water, which is full only when water is flowing through it, or you can be a well, which is uh, always full of water. Or you can be a canal which is full only when water is flowing through it, but dry and empty the rest of the time. Or a well, which is always full of water, so that as the waters of life are drawn up out of you, you are not empty, but remain full. Uh, We want to be wells, don't we? But holiness is a big, continuous, daily draw from the water of life. Uh, It's required of us in private, and it's required of us in public. It's drawn from us when we're well-rested, and it's drawn from us when we're tired and irritable. Uh, We're called to give people holiness when they are so happy to see us, and it's so easy. And we are called to give people holiness when they just can't stand us, and it's very difficult. Just acting holy is a draining activity, but then when you add wrestling with how to be holy, what does holiness look like right now, then it's even more draining, isn't it? My friends, Jesus did not come to give us empty dryness. Uh, He did not come to make make us canals. He came to make us wells. Uh, He came to give us life and to give it to us abundantly, which is why we're going to reflect this morning in our second sermon in our five-part sort of mini-series on prayer about how we drill our hearts deeply into the holy life of Jesus so that as we wrestle with what holiness looks like and as we strive to live holy lives in Jesus' name, we are not left empty and dry, but full and satisfied, even joyful with Christ. Uh, Our passage this morning is the introduction to the Lord's Prayer and then the first line Father, hallowed be your name. Uh, But I'm going to read the entire prayer there because it feels weird to stop right after that line. Uh, 
So let's read, uh, let's read Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Oh, um, and I should say, you'll notice the prayer doesn't sound exactly like the version of the Lord's Prayer that we just prayed, and I'm going to talk about that next week, but I, I, I want you to know that I noticed you noticing that, and I noticed it too. Uh, so Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 4. Let's hear God's Word. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And... Lead us not into temptation. Uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that um, you yourself in the second person of the Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ, has taught us to pray so that we can have hearts that have uh, drilled deeply down into the life of God, which you are pouring into us through your Spirit. Father, we know that uh, this will not be possible for us to do unless your Spirit blesses the Word to us, unless you give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe your Word. So, Father, we pray that you would do that this morning. We pray that the words of my mouth as your preacher, and that the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your Word, that it would all be pleasing now in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want to look at this morning is the context for the disciples' request that Jesus teach them to pray. Our passage follows immediately from the one we looked at last week, and if you were here, you may remember that Martha had invited Jesus over to her house, but then got so distracted by busyness and service that she refused to join her sister Mary as she sat and rested at Jesus' feet. And then you may remember that uh, Jesus encouraged Martha to stop and rest by telling her that there is one thing that is necessary. There is one thing that is necessary, and that is to spend time with Jesus. And I try my best to help us see that Mary there is modeling for us, and Jesus is calling us to acknowledge our need to spend time with him each day in prayer And I call that our need for daily Sabbath, uh, which we need just like we need a weekly Sabbath on Sunday with God's people. We need daily prayer by ourselves, and we need weekly prayer together in worship. We need daily rest with Jesus individually, and we need weekly corporate rest with Jesus, just like we need two days off a week and two weeks of vacation. They go together They are necessary together in our lives. And I also pointed out that this interaction between Mary and Martha and Jesus took place after a long, uh, fruitful, but tiring ministry season. Jesus had been uh, talking for weeks, maybe months, about the necessity of ministry. He'd been sending the disciples out to do ministry. 
And then he'd been celebrating their bold evangelism and their sacrificial service, so their, their faithful care of their neighbor in the gospel that he had given them to proclaim and to live out. And the disciples were there for all of that ministry. They were the ones that Jesus sent out. Originally, when he sent out the 12 in uh, Matthew chapter, I'm going to say 9, and then he sent out the, uh, the 72 in chapter 10, and then they were there in Martha's house. And they heard that interaction, and they heard Jesus tell Martha that the one thing necessary, after weeks and weeks and weeks of preaching and teaching about ministry and service, was not service, ministry, and sacrifice, but was instead Sabbath rest with Jesus, receiving life, delight, and communion with God. And again, remember, that's how the Bible defines Sabbath, as we saw a few weeks ago. It's Life, delight, and communion with God. So in chapter 11, verse 1, we find out that some days later, we're not told how many, maybe it was the same day, I don't know. But we find out that Jesus is praying in a certain place. He's just gone off and prayed somewhere. And as the disciples are watching Jesus pray, and as they're thinking about this conversation that he had with Mary and Martha, they must have started thinking about all the other times that Jesus had stepped aside to do the one thing necessary, which was to pray, to have Sabbath rest with his Father in heaven. And, and I think this is so incredibly important for us to see as we move forward together in this series on Luke. And so I'm going to just take a second to show you a little bit of the disciples' experience of life with Jesus. Uh, in, back in chapter 5, after Jesus calls his first disciples and he's starting his healing ministry, he's starting his teaching ministry, this is the point where he starts to proclaim the gospel to hundreds, probably thousands of people. His ministry is getting big. His, uh, his, his, people's need for him is becoming pronounced and acknowledged. Uh, we're told in uh, chapter 5, verse 16, but Jesus would withdraw to desolate places to pray. And desolate places just means non-city places. That's all it means. He would go to lakes. That's why he was often preaching there by bodies of water. He would go to deserts. Or if he was in a city like Jerusalem, he would go to parks or gardens like Gethsemane. So as Jesus' ministry picks up steam and as he's required to show holiness more and more, to more and more people, to love more people, to listen to more people, to help more people. His prayer life doesn't decrease as his life gets busier. It increases. And then as you read through Luke's gospel, you cannot help but notice all the time that Jesus spends in prayer. Uh, he spends time in prayer in the synagogue, at uh, ancient Jewish church, every Saturday. The Bible tells us that very clearly. And then he also spent large amounts of time praying in private. And in chapter 6, before Jesus preaches his first sermon to, to thousands and thousands of people at the lake, which we looked at, he spent an evening on a mountain in prayer. In fact, I think if you read through Luke's gospel, or any of the gospels, you'll see that after most major events in Jesus' life, whether there's uh, big joyful events like healings and salvations or difficult events like hard interactions with the Pharisees or difficult talks with his own disciples. We're told that Jesus would go off on his own. 
And he would pray. So Jesus, who defines what holiness means for us, who is, in fact, the Holy One of Israel, did not live his earthly life. And in fact, I think we can say with good theology, could not have lived his earthly life in perfect holiness without these regular times of prayer. And I say could not because remember, Jesus is fully God. He's also fully human. And as a fully human man, he needed, like we do, these daily, regular times of life, delight, and communion with God to receive as a human being the riches of God's own life so that he could be filled by it and then go out and give it to everyone around him. And that brings us then back to the disciples. They're thinking about all of this ministry that Jesus has done. They're they're thinking about all of the ministry that Jesus is calling them to do. And then they think about this powerful conversation between Mary and Martha, uh, ending with Jesus saying, the one thing necessary is to spend time resting with your heavenly Father. It's to spend time with Jesus, receiving life, delight, and communion with God from the Lord of the Sabbath himself. And then they realize, see if you identify with them, we don't know how to do that. You see, my friends, prayer is natural, but it's also a skill. Uh, It's like talking. Uh, Generally speaking, babies naturally learn to talk, but they don't get better without practice and good example and instruction. Prayer is the same way. It is natural, but we get better at it as we practice and get good examples in it and get instruction in how to do it. And so they go to Jesus and they say in verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Jesus, we're ready to learn how to, how to rest at your feet when there's all of this work to do. Uh, we're ready to learn how to receive your peace so that we can give it out in the midst of all of this incredibly intense ministry without ourselves being empty of the peace that we are giving to others in your name. Uh, we're, we're ready to learn how to drill the well of our hearts deeply into your super abundant grace. And uh, I'm hoping that we see ourselves in the same position as the disciples here. Like, okay, like I'm called to serve. I want to serve. I, I want to be holy. But now, like the disciples, I'm learning that standing strong for Jesus comes after sitting humbly at Jesus' feet. Uh, I'm learning that life-giving, life-sustaining ministry and sacrifice come out of regular Sabbath rest, where I receive from Jesus his ministry and his sacrifice and his service. I'm learning that work comes out of rest and then returns to rest. In fact, that life is bookended by periods of Sabbath. And as a matter of fact, I think you can see this built into the very fabric of creation. If you go to look in Genesis chapter 1, you will see that it is never morning and evening. It's always evening and morning, and that God arranged Adam and Eve's life so that they wake up from a period of rest, they join Jesus in the work he's already doing, and then they return to a period of rest. 
And that this book-ended Sabbath is the way that God designed us to live so that we can work and move with him without becoming dry ourselves. And so the disciples realize, I'm hoping we're beginning to realize, we need this skill of resting with God in prayer so that we can work with God without becoming empty and dry. So Jesus, like, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus does. And he begins with this powerful first statement in verse 2. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. And there's so much I could say here, of course. Uh, But for the sake of time, because I want to get very practical again at the end, I'm going to highlight just three things. First, when Jesus gives us this model prayer, he doesn't mean this is the only words or structure that we can use. I mean, clearly he can't mean that because that's not how he prayed. Uh, Read John chapter 17. These are not the words that Jesus used when he prayed for his disciples, and they aren't the words that Jesus prayed to his father from the cross. No, what Jesus is doing here is being a good teacher. He's giving us a basic structure that will help us learn what to think about and how to focus our prayers on the things that are central to our life with Jesus here on earth. And again, you can think uh, about how you just learn any other skill. You always start with the basics, like how to dribble a ball or write a sentence or paint a picture. The, The basics get you started. They form the framework for your actions, but then when you reach a certain level, Uh, Those basic things are just not what you do all the time, right? They're there to fall back on. Maybe you use them in certain situations, but they're just not always what you do. The point of this prayer is to teach us how to slow down and bring our life to Jesus in prayer so that it can be filled by his holy life. And that brings me to the meaning then of the first line, Father, hallowed be your name. Uh, whole books have been written about this prayer, have been written about this line. Uh, since I can't say everything, I, I commend for you J.I. Packer's book, um, Praying the Lord's Prayer. Maybe we should do that for our growth groups after the book we're currently doing. That would be really good. Um, I also recommend John Calvin's reflections on this in book four of the Institutes, which I used to read every year. Those are very powerful. And then Martin Luther's comments in his larger catechism is where I first learned like how to actually pray the Lord's Prayer as a discipline and practice. And that was very spiritually shaping for me. So I recommend those to you if you're interested in reading more. Uh, But for this morning, I just want to say two things about this line. And the first is this. When Jesus teaches us to pray that God would make his name holy, he's teaching us to pray as members of God's family. Uh, We're praying as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father as those who are called to bear the family resemblance of God in the world. Uh, In Jesus' day, at the end of every worship service, the leader would raise his hands, and he would put the ironic, not ironic, aironic, aaronic, benediction on God's people. So when we heard last Sunday, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. God says in Numbers chapter 6 that that action is putting his name on the people of Israel. And it happened every week. And the disciples would have understood this. We bear God's name as his family. As a matter of fact, it's put on us every week in worship. We have been brought 
into the family of God. And as Christians, we should also understand this too, not only because we receive the benediction every week, but what does every Christian receive at the beginning of his or her life with Jesus? Baptism, right? I baptize you into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus is telling us to do when we pray is to speak to our Father as those who have been brought into his family, and we're taught to ask him to make his name holy. That's what hallowed mean, kids. Hallowed is just an old English way of saying, make it holy or sanctify it. Uh, So time is growing short, so let me just say this for today about holiness. Holiness is not a state of being. It is a kind of relationship. In the Bible, holiness describes God's relationships. Holiness is founded and defined first and foremost by the way that God relates to himself as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The justice, the love, the mercy, the kindness, the welcome, the hospitality, all of that is what holiness means. And then it describes that God's entrance into relationship with his creation and his people. And that's what holiness is used to define. It defines God's life in the world, the way he relates to others, the way he treats others, the way he speaks to them, the way he uh, lives with them and loves them and redeems them and enacts justice. That is what holiness is. And that's why I said at the beginning, holiness means for us then living like Jesus. It means relating to God the way that Jesus does. And it means relating to each other the way that Jesus does. It means relating to our neighbor and to the world the way that Jesus does. It means listening like Jesus does, uh, speaking like Jesus does. It means learning how to see people, not through our own jaded vision, but the way that Jesus does as those who can and need his redemptive, recreating power as those who are never too far gone for his grace to descend into their lives and, and save them. A holiness means practicing justice and mercy and humility and kindness and goodness in every relationship. That's why holiness and love are overlapping concepts in the Bible. You can think of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where God says, Uh, that uh, he shows his love even to his enemies, and then he calls us to be perfect, which is a synonym of holiness, even as our Heavenly Father is perfect. This is why I like to say holiness is not something you have. Holiness is something you do. So all of this to say, what motivated the disciples to ask Jesus to teach them to pray was that they wanted to have a Sabbath relationship with Jesus that would allow them to live holy lives like Jesus. Lord, we want to love you. We want to serve you. We want to love and serve others for you. But we understand now that to do that, we need to spend time being loved by you, being served by you in prayer, in fellowship with you. And so the very first thing that Jesus teaches us to do, the very first thing, is to bring our life with other people as God's family to God and ask him for help.
the first thing we're taught to do is to ask God to make us holy, to make us bear the family resemblance of Christ to God and to each other and to the world and to our neighbors. And then from there, I have two practical reflections on this because I think it's important for us to learn how to bring this prayer into our daily Sabbath practice. And the the first practical reflection is that we can just pray this line generally with understanding. As those who want to join the disciples and having hearts that are drilled down into Christ's life, we can learn to just say, Lord, Father, hallowed be your name. Lord, make me holy as you are holy. Make me bear the family resemblance of Jesus. And, And do this, Lord, not just for me, but for your entire church. Help us all to look like Jesus. That's one way we can use this prayer daily. We can simply pray it. But there's another way. Uh, And this is a practice that I have been learning and growing in over the last little while that I want to invite you into as well. And that is that we can make this line specific. We can use it as an entry point, as a door into a conversation with Jesus about a particular issue or, or person or struggle. So as you spend time with God, you can say, Father, hallowed be your name. And Father, to be honest, I don't know how to hallow your name with this person or in this situation. Uh, I need your guidance. I need your spirit. I, I need your wisdom. I need your help. Or you can pray, Father, hallowed be your name. I know there's an area of my life, Lord, that doesn't look holy. And then you can talk with God about how maybe you don't listen well, or you're impatient, or you're angry, or bitter. Um, Maybe you talk to him about the fears that you have, or the idols of your heart, whatever it is. You tell Jesus, and you ask him for help. Hallowed be your name. Please help me with this struggle that I know that I have. Or you can pray, Father, hallowed be your name How do I show Jesus' life in this season of my life? I'm young, I'm I'm old, I'm single, I'm married, I'm I'm well-employed, I'm underemployed, whatever it is. Father, hallowed be your name. How do I show Jesus' holiness generally in, in my particular season of life? Or you can say, Father, hallowed be your name. Thank you for the way in which your holiness has been poured out in my life. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your justice and your mercy. Thank you for relating to me, not as a cold-hearted judge, but as a heavenly father who welcomes me into his family through the mercies of Christ. So you can take this line and you can use it as a door to walk into a conversation with God about very specific things in your life. And I think this is such an important practice This is much better, my friends, than saying, Lord, you know things. Or just praying generally like, God, it's good, you're good, I'm good, we're good. Or it's bad, I'm bad, you're good, I'm not. Being specific has brought a lot of spiritual life and help to my life. And it's done this for people throughout church history. I've learned this by studying People who, writing back in the 12th and 13th centuries, who had incredibly vibrant prayer lives, who taught people to pray. And I want to share this with you because it's been so helpful to me and it's been helpful to the saints for thousands of years. 
And one of the reasons that I found it to be helpful, I'll say this too, is because it, it takes the weight off of me trying to generate enough wisdom to solve an issue or enough strength to fix an issue, and it gives it to Jesus who has wisdom and strength. You see, it, instead of trying to draw from the life that Christ has given me, it drills down into the life of Christ and says, Lord, what do you want to happen? And related to that, it takes the issues out of my own head, which is always circular and frustrating, uh, and it gives it to Jesus. And it opens me up, I've discovered, to listening to him as he speaks in his word or through the mouths of his people. And also, very, very importantly, and this kind of gets us back to the beginning, I found that it slows me down so that I no longer, or I don't, I, that's not true, I do not react as often as I used to, I respond because I've learned to take things to Jesus first more so than before. And by handing my life over as a, as a husband and a father and a son and a friend, a, a pastor and a neighbor, by handing all of these relationships over to Jesus daily and seeking his holiness in them daily, it, it lets me live the life that Jesus has given up for me and is pouring into me so that I can pour it into others so that I'm not just ah, reacting. There's a response because the well of my heart has been drilled deeper into Jesus and those relationships have been brought in prayer into Jesus and have been drilled further down into him. I don't know how to get more practical than this. I'm not usually this practical, but I'm doing my best, guys. This is real life changing things that you can do. It changes, I've discovered, so that I don't react by mood and circumstance, but based upon my life and relationship with Christ. It makes holiness possible and life-giving. How I, I cannot tell you how encouraging it is to walk away from a conversation where three weeks ago it would have ended with me feeling guilty that I reacted and got angry and snapped and bit someone's head off and did not because Jesus had helped. And to be able to say, Jesus, you're good. Like, this was incredible. I am walking away experiencing the life that you've given me, given to someone else. So with all of that, let me conclude with this. The Lord's Prayer here is given in a context where the disciples are, want to learn how to slow down and be with Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus teaches them to do is to slow down and pray for the holiness of his relationship to them to be poured into their life with him and those around him. And so, beloved, let's use this tool as Jesus intended. Let's slow down. As we said last week, let's invite Jesus into our calendar. Let's slow down and stop and pray so that we can drill the wells of our hearts deeply into Christ so that his name can be hollowed in our lives and we can be filled with the life-giving, life-changing love of God for ourselves and for those around us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, help us to slow down.
and seek your face as we strive to be holy and live like your family. Uh, Father, as we bring our lives to you, our questions to you, our struggles and needs to you, please hallow your name in our lives by filling us with the Spirit of Christ. Uh, Please fill us with his presence and his wisdom and his love and his goodness uh, so that as we give out your holy life, we would not be empty but remain full uh, because we are so deeply and constantly connected to Jesus. Uh, Please help us to be wells, constantly filled by your grace. And please help us to take time each day to be uh, servants before our master, sinners before our Savior, children before our Heavenly Father. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.